You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 619, Start Them Up, The Stones Are Back, Freddie Mercury and The Beatles For Sale, There's Plenty Of Tents In Yorkshire, Jimmy Fallon's Troubles and Farewell To Gary Wright. That's all coming up after Stretch and Why Did You Do It? I've been thinking about what you have done to me. Much deeper than you'll ever see. Hit me like a hammer to my head. I wonder where you pushed or where you led. Why did you do it? Why did you do that thing to me? Why did you do it? Why did you do that thing to me? truth man that's him me and you my friends they listen to the things i say they listen and they hear more every day but i know they never understand it because it was no Accident, you planned it. Why did you do it? Why did you do that thing to me? Why did you do it? Why did you do that thing to me? The only one who knows the truth, man, that's him, me. One, two.
regular listeners may remember a week or two ago, we were talking about the Fleetwood Mac tour in the early mm. 70s that actually contained no members of Fleetwood Mac. Yes, indeed. Well, the remnants of that band um, actually blamed Mick Fleetwood, who they believed was supposed to join them, but backed out at the last minute, leaving him in the lurch. Um, so they renamed the band they'd formed, wrote this and somewhat mm. amazingly made a hit single out of it. So from the remnants of that Fleetwood Mac band that wasn't Fleetwood Mac, from 1975, number 16 on the UK Top 40, Stretch, and Why Did You Do It? That is genuinely really good, actually. I hadn't heard that before. It's very smooth sailing adjacent, so obviously it very is. interested in that. Um, yeah, like you say, how amazing that they managed to, because it wasn't their fault that they ended up being no. Fleetwood Mac, was it, really, when it comes down to it? So particularly if they thought they were playing with Mick Fleetwood, Indeed. who is the Fleetwood of Fleetwood Mac. Anyway, I'm glad they managed to make a silk purse out of a sales yes. ear eventually. And the, of course, the singer in Stretch, anybody uh, around in the 60s for music will remember the name Elmer Gantry. Mm. He turned up all the time in everything. Was, Who's this geezer, Elmer Gantry? Wasn't his real name? I think it was Dave Cuffey or something. I can't quite remember. But um, Elmer Gantry was the uh, lead singer in the Fleetwood Mac that wasn't Fleetwood Mac. And then, as I say, uh, in this band, Stretch. Uh, and uh, this, as we say, the lyrics all about their experience uh, on mm. the west coast of America. Welcome aboard the Parish Council. It's episode 619. I'm Terence Stackham. And, well, we better check. Has she had to break out of prison clinging to a van to be with us today? Let's ask <laughs> Juliet Harris. I mean, to be honest, there are some people that will probably rather be in prison than taste my cooking. So who knows? It all comes <laughs> around in the end. Yes. Um, no, I, I got here. I got here to my chair on foot from my kitchen. I'm afraid I did not need to be like what's his name in Mission Impossible at any moment in time. Although who knows? I could do with a ride out. Maybe that's not a bad idea. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Far less dramatic entry for you than it has to be said. <laughs> Indeed. I've mentioned before, I'm not a big fan of the Rolling Stones, mm. but as ever, we know, we're all perfectly entitled to like what we like, enjoy what we enjoy. I'm, I'm much more not a fan of the writer Jeanne Moir mm. and her grim, poorly written column in the Daily Mail. Oh, wasn't, wasn't it her that said those horrible things about Stephen Gately when he it died? Was, and, it was, and they had, there was a, there, it there, was there, was, they were fined, weren't they? There was, there was some big issue in the end, I think. There was it some... Was, it, some yeah. some blowback from that, shall we say? It certainly was. And yes, rightly was so, yes. Um, here's the headline from Wednesday. With a combined age of 235 at their album launch, the Rolling Stones looked as if they were in some demented boudoir, a, a lush crypt for the decrepit. I mean, oh, that's not heaven, very pleasant, is it, really? Nice, is it? I mean, oh, so she knows spring chicken herself, can I just point out? Well, I mean, this is this is exactly it. It's weirder because Gemini herself is 65 years old. And as you point out, let's just say she's nowhere as thin and fit as Ronnie, Kick, Keith and well, Mick. Well, uh, quite indeed. Although having said that, you know, maybe maybe it's hypocritical of me to criticise her looks for when she's criticising other looks. But I don't consider well, 65 you know, to be particularly old. She's not 21, is she? Yes, indeed. No, no. Um, 
No, so the Stones, they're not in their teens. I mean, it was a pathetic in, 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 um, intro to, to an equally abysmal column. She, um, As always, by, yeah. By the way, this made me laugh. She, she wrote about Charlie Watts in this column. He died in 2021, but by the miracle of modern technology, he plays on two tracks on the new album. No, modern technology wasn't required. <laughs> they recorded those two tracks before he died. It's as simple as that. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, Jules, man, these people disregarding the clickbait nonsense of January. If the new single is anything to go by, the Stones may be right back on form here. It's true. I mean, I do quite like this. I think that the playing on it is excellent. I have a bit of an issue with this. and Oh, no, it's going to make me sound like January now. I don't mean mm. it to. I can't quite take Mick Jagger seriously as a singer anymore. And mm. I think the reason I can't is not because, I mean, he technically, this is my issue with listening to it the problem is is that for me his singing voice now i think maybe because he has got a bit older and this is not a criticism of him aging voices change over time that's that's you know the reality isn't it they sort of stretch and they drop in pitch and and you know you can't do it's it's unrealistic for me to expect mick jagger to do the things that mick jagger could do when he was 24 obviously that's not the case now but his voice sounds quite similar his singing voice sounds very similar to his speaking voice now for me Mm. which is is a bit ridiculous and maybe this is because i was i was raised on stella street the phil cornwall thing so i think i've just stopped being able to hear mick jagger's speaking voice this is a me problem not a mick problem but i've been i've been stopped being able oh, to hear it completely yeah. since as a result of which it sounds a little bit like someone doing a mick jagger impression mm. i suspect because a he's got a very recognizable voice and and b because he can't quite sing as he once could maybe he's having to overemphasize i'm not sure what it is that isn't quite gelling with me with his vocal and which is what's putting me off which is a shame because i think it's a very things very good the only the other thing that i have a slight issue with and it sounds like i'm moaning i, I don't mean to be constantly moaning about this but i think the, the slight problem with these sort of comebacks by bands that were famous in the 60s and the 70s i think i think the beatles managed to avoid it on freezer bird pretty much i don't know how they'd fare now is that those bands were recorded mostly on analogue material, weren't they? Analogue sort of mm, things. And nice. they had a bit of a warmth to them and they had a bit of a crackle mm. and they just had, I don't know, they were a bit more um, they were a bit more forgiving, weren't they? And mm. for me, hearing a very cleanly recorded mm. Rolling Stones, it just, it just amplifies the slight flaws or differences in how they once were to me. Maybe that's what's throwing me off a bit about Mick Jagger's vocal. I don't know. I don't mean to be churlish. I think what Jan Moore wrote wrote was rotten. I think, you know, it's and, you know, you have to accept the fact that they're not going to sound like they did in 1963. And that that is life. And I'm glad that the vast majority with them are still with us. I'm glad to hear Charlie Watts is drumming again. Not thanks to the miracle of technology. She correctly correct Jan Moore on that. But uh, no, I, I think it's good. I think it's perfectly good and it's pretty serviceable and it's and it's good stuff. I'm sorry that I can't quite get on board with it for reasons that I'm not entirely sure. But um, but it's certainly nowhere near as bad as it could have been when a lot of bands mm. have made comebacks and they've been dreadful. It's pretty respectable, I would say. Talking about Mick Jagger's voice, that's just reminded yeah. me. I meant, I meant to tell you, I, in rather, rather strange circumstances, I lost my voice earlier this week. And it, mm. it, it, I, I couldn't speak for a day. Shall I tell you how it happened? Go on. Uh, <laughs> we I'm looking in, forward to this. Come on. <laughs> we were in the car. And um, for, for reasons unknown, I started um, in, in doing an impression um, of sat-nav instructions 
but mm. sung in the style of uh, Michael McDonald, M- McDonald oh, to the from tune the of Brothers. Of Blues. Yes, yes. And oh, so dear. I, I, I daren't do it now because it'll go again. No, but don't, I, I, don't do that. No, I was singing, you know, turn left at the next roundabout, but in that really sort of <laughs> tight-throated version yes, of Michael right. McDonald. And has it and has it upset your vocal cords? Yeah, they upset my vocal cords for about dear. a whole day. I, I was whispering for a day afterwards because I overdid it. Oh dear! Well, we could have had to think. We could have had whispering Sir Terence Thackham this week. Um, I've no idea whether the the generally positive reviews will translate into a longer term appreciation of the new album when it is released. Mm. But so many albums from apparently major stars these days seem to zoom in at number one and then disappear. Drop like a stone, absolutely. Mm. Or drop like a stone. Hey, hey oh. I didn't even mean that. I know Goodness you didn't. No, very good. But I was thinking maybe Jamois, uh, Carol Malone and Amanda Platel, they could make an album and we'll add <laughs> up all their ages when we review it. Uh, yes, to, quite. Um, indeed, indeed. A, a couple of weeks ago, Sam Cutler, Rolling Stones tour manager, he died. And the significance being, he was in charge in 1969 at the time of the fateful Altamont uh, gig uh, festival. He he contacted the West Coast Hell's Angels to take on security um, at the show. I mean, d- just just that just saying that sentence that is sentence like is the, stuff, isn't it's, it? it's like the first ten minutes of Casualty, isn't it? Except it's very easy to see what's <laughs> going to go wrong here, isn't it? You haven't got a choice of possible disastrous events. Well, they provided the security in exchange for a hundred cases of beer, which is, you know, just adding another layer. It's a great combo, and presumably, yeah. which they would, which they were given at the time rather than afterwards. Yeah, well, exactly. So, oh, you dear. know, what could possibly go wrong, as they say? Well, four people died, including the murder of Meredith Hunter. And the I'd whole say thing... that was very much things going wrong. It was. It? Yeah. The whole thing ended close to a riot. Jules Rolling Stone magazine described it as rock and roll's all-time worst day. The December the 6th, a day when everything went perfectly wrong. Absolutely. It sounds like just grim upon grim, doesn't it, really? Incredibly poor judgment by Sam Cutler. Uh, It reminds me of the... um, Do you remember when we reviewed that film about the Woodstock revival in the late 90s? And that was horrible and toilets on fire. Well, it sounds very much like this as well. Um, It sounds... I mean, he had an interesting... So Sam Cutler had... uh, I I was very much amused by this this kind of tale. He'd, five months earlier, taken the stage Mm. as master of ceremonies at their free continent Hyde Park ambled up to a microphone and said ladies and gentlemen let's welcome the greatest rock and roll band in the world and of course that became their sort of tagline and mm. um, he was apparently being deliberately sarcastic and he said he'd heard <laughs> them in rehearsal before the gig and they'd been atrociously bad so he meant it as a sort of a, a mickey take and uh, which perhaps was not surprising although when you say that and you go oh you know isn't he funny yes Brian Jones had died two days previously mm. so I'm not surprised the Rolling Stones had been a bit distracted in their rehearsal. Mm, well, that's true. So, you know, uh, I, I will give them some kindness there, I yeah, think. But yeah, yeah. Altamont just sounded like absolute Doesn't it? hell on earth. Um, apparently, he insisted um, when he met the Stones at the concert um, in Oakland, California, before Altamont, and said, the angels are righteous dudes. They carry themselves with honour and dignity. Unfortunately, mm. they were also carrying 100 cases of beer, which I suspect mm. rather negated that, didn't it, really? I love the fact that they, they drew up a contract for the ultimate 
Billy Altamont gig, and it was signed by two of the Bay Area Hells Angels, who signed it as Sweet William and Frisco Pete. Who knew that a legal <laughs> document signed by people like that might not have been worth um, what you know might not have been worth what was written on? They said themselves that we don't police things. Sweet William apparently claims to have said we're not a security force. We go to concerts to enjoy ourselves and have fun. And the cutler said, "Well, what about helping people out, giving directions and things?" Hmm. And they said, "Sure, we can do that." And um, when they he asked how they want to be paid, they said, "Oh, we like beer," so he paid them in the beer, as you say. Um, so unfortunately. Unfortunately, it did all go rather wrong. Mm. At least the Hells Angels were clear about their shortcomings before they started. I, I, you know, I, I think that was a bum deal. I did not think yeah. that he acquitted himself well there. If, I think if ever you go to a festival and get irritated by, um, for example, the giant fencing at Glastonbury yes. and the sight of a lot of people in high-vis jackets, take a look, look on YouTube to footage of Altamont and I think you'll oh, change your tune. Absolutely. Yeah. If you see, you know, everyone on LSD or on fire or both in some cases, <laughs> I can probably afford to open my bag for the fifth time in three minutes when I go mm-hmm. in to see a gig, can't I? <laughs> Coming right up, there's... Well, there's no more to say about the Beatles. Oh, yes, there is. Mm. <laughs> we can always find something to say about the Beatles. <laughs> and also, making Mary Austin a multi-millionaire. That's mm. next, after Kitty and Horn. How many times do I have to tell you? Are you listening to me now? My God, you are so annoying. Now, what are you looking at? Don't give me that look. How many times do I have to tell you? Can it really be this difficult? Good grief. Somebody give me the strength. Is this your apartment? Well, I don't think so. Well, you better believe this relationship is going south. Well, goodbye. Goodbye. Sounds great. Okay. Okay. Wait a minute. Wait a minute.
this fairly recently on a Spotify. If you like that, you'll like this mix. I really liked that. I thought it was very enjoyable. So I thought I would share it with you, the Terrence, and also the listeners. Uh, not the Donald, though. But I thought I'd, I'd, I don't believe the Donald is a listener to us. But uh, I very much enjoyed that. I thought it, I thought it had a real sense of style to it. Um, it was released, I believe, on the True Thoughts label, which is releasing some really good, um, like uh, sort of Isn't modern that your soul way, stuff. That, that label, I think it's Brighton based isn't it i think it's, it's somewhere along the coast i think mm. and they do quite a lot of um quite a lot of, sort of interesting uh interesting uh, uh albums and sort of modern things um so like we said that was um kimmy and horn and uh the name of the or kinney and horn and the name of the track was why me and we yes. all say that to ourselves terence <laughs> oh, indeed um who was it oh, was it was it um balotelli the football why always that? me <laughs> with the t-shirt on yes they should have had some tie in it. i really yeah, want one should. of those t-shirts by the way they must still be available somewhere um yeah it's completely new to me i mean it's a very interesting voice and i see she has a solo album so i must explore that so very interesting choice i think they've both done solo things mm. and that's them collaborating and always like a collaboration you would think that every second of every hour of every day of the lives of the Beatles was accounted for and that mm. every ashtray they ever used, every cup they drained and uh, every photo they've assigned were all out in the public domain. But wait, here comes an auction in New York taking place this month, later this month. It has items from such unlikely bedfellows as Prince, George Washington Guns mm. and Roses and Martin wow. Luther King. That's uh, quite a that's quite a dinner party for the people, isn't it? That's quite a collection. I mean, incidentally, by the way, a letter from George Washington is to fe- is expected to fetch up to a million dollars. Wow! And um, a guitar owned and played by Elvis in a couple of his dire movies in Hawaii, oh, half dear. a million dollars. But of course, the big interest jewels is in the Beatles section. Can I tempt you mm. with? Um, John Lennon's evening suit worn at a 1964 awards ceremony um, expected to reach $750,000 comes courtesy of Dot Jarlett, who was John's housekeeper in Weybridge. Or there's a bit of a wall from the Ed Sullivan show that excellent. all four feet was signed. That's been prized off. That's been chipped off. That is um, an excellent. How much, how much, um, how much do they uh, want for that? Let me try and guess. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. $50,000. million. Oh, for um, goodness sake. So just to help you, I've looked for the lowest, most likely oh, thank bidding, you. bidding I appreciate on that item. Yeah, just for you. Thank now. you. Currently bidding, because you can you can already post bids online. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, currently bidding at $100, a oh. sliver of wood from John Lennon's piano authenticated by Sotheby's. I really don't feel that is VFM, I must say. I think I think that's a that's a lot to ask. It's a shame, really. I'm sorry that there's nothing, you know. Have, surely there must have been several hundred thousand jelly babies that were thrown at George Harrison <laughs> over the years. I'd pay a hundred dollars for a bag of those. Do you remember George Harrison's gnomes in his in his album box set? <laughs> Maybe I could have one of those. That'd be nice. But I'm not sure I want to pay much more than a hundred dollars, really. Um, I'm quite a fan of the um of the tale of um of Constance, the uh, the teenage girl um who there's some bedding material um that's uh, so some various things around oh, from the uh, weekend uh, in yes, Amsterdam. Oh. The peace pro the the uh, the the peace protest. Yeah. Um, and uh, so they turn up in. in 
in Amsterdam. And um, I can't pronounce her surname very well. A 16-year-old Beatles fan named Constance, and I think it's pronounced Vridar. It's a very Dutch surname mm. that I'm not good at pronouncing. Decided that she heard that they were that they'd turned up. So she travelled from her home in the village of Ardenhout to the uh, Amsterdam Hilton. And so she asked if anybody had tried to go to the room. Everyone said no. So she emboldened her. She entered the hotel calmly told a doorman she was there for coffee and then ran to the lift, <laughs> lift to press the ninth floor button. Sadly, a porter caught her before she could close. She said, and then, Constance was very quick thinking. I was a big fan. She pulled out her Beatles Club fan club membership cards and declared, I am from the Dutch Beatles fan club and I would like to congratulate John and Yoko on their marriage and I am here to interview them. And the porter, I think quite rightly, was pretty dubious about this. She was removed from the lift. Um, she, of course, was made upstairs um 20 minutes later is the two men appear and you think oh it's security they're gonna throw her out um they were from Bavuma, who was the Beatles record company in Holland and they came and they took her up to the, to oh, the, the ninth floor and uh, she sat on the edge of the bed she congratulated them on their um on their uh, marriage until it was time to until it was suggested time was up and she said would they answer questions um that she would send up from the hotel lobby and they said they would so these questions that wow. she'd written out they wrote replies and sent them down and she um she said um do you both still use drugs? To which Lennon answered in replies posted back occasionally. Uh, what do you think at the moment? And Lennon said, I feel tired. I want peace and some food. I mean, big mood, John Lennon. That's mm. me most of the time. Do you still believe you can talk to the late Brian Epstein? Lennon says, maybe. I believe in everything in block capitals until it is disproved. Oh, he would have been a COVID denier, wouldn't he? I really hope he wouldn't have been mm-hmm. anyway. And um, she um, she, uh, <laughs> she says, um, she says, why? This is my favourite question mm. why uh, also for a 16 year old this is very balanced in its interviewing even though it's a bit sycophantic i also think it's very sweet what do you say if you really said it that people may say that you're the most awful couple in the world oh, you two you two look just lovely in those white pajamas to which lennon replied it hurts when people are cruel but i also feel sorry for them and thank you that's a very sweet interview that yeah. has more sweetness about John Lennon than I thought he would. So, so actually, I would I would like to see that. Um, I would pay some money to see that very sweet conversation. Also, there was a birthday card um, written by George Harrison to the caretaker of his Hawaiian estate, which reads, written in German, it reads, peaceful birthday, my friend, and is signed as from Adolf Skinkengruber, which is the birth name as Hitler's father, apparently. Oh, my God. George, Olivia and Dani, and includes a drawing of Hitler. So I don't know quite what was going on there. It's, it's apparently thought that it was a reference to the hair, the house caretaker was apparently rather strict in his rule of oh. the of the Harrison's uh, Hawaiian manner. So it might have been a joke about that. A bit that, of lawsuit. Bants, Indeed. Maybe. Although that lulls and bants will be twenty thousand to thirty thousand dollars to you, wow. sir, I believe. Wow. You know, um, you you were sort of um, not wanting wanting to bid on the piece of wood from Johnson mm. like piano. I mean, I didn't me... fancy it really, City. No, no. Do you know what it reminded me? It just suddenly reminded me of it. In the Catholic Church, we get um, splinters from the Holy Cross. Oh, yes, yes, have... I have heard of that. Yeah. 
Yeah, it reminded me of that because like, if, I'm sure if you put all of those together, they'd, they'd be like the size of a forest. And I wonder if the same thing is if like if all the bits of John Lennon's piano were put together, <laughs> exactly. it would like f- fill you know an entire house. Oh, it's rather... and if it, exactly, and if and if uh, if John Lennon's piano falls over in the woods and no one's there to hear it, <laughs> does it really play a magic and etc. It, it really is extraordinary. If you own anything at all of significance from the Beatles, whether it's mm. one of Ringo's shirts as worn on Let It Be, it's in this all. Or, Ooh, as we discovered, good. a splinter of wood from Lennon's keyboard. You know, you're really in the money, and it seems to be never ending, and there always seems to be a market for it. But yeah. what intrigues me, though, is what do you, I, I thought about this when I saw um, what, what do you do with it? For that suit worn by mm. John Lennon at the awards ceremony nearly 60 years ago that we talked about, what would you actually do with it if you won the auction? And say you paid a, a million, £750,000 is expected to reach. What, would you put it on a mannequin and stick it in the hallway as a conversation piece? Would you wear it down the pub? I mean, I'm not sure it? I would. Maybe you would loan it out for a fee to. Uh, to oh yes, put it on tour around the world. Yeah, yeah indeed. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's the idea. Maybe. Talking of auctions, we highlighted some months ago the then upcoming auction of all the contents of Freddie Mercury's home and the dismay mm. caused to fans. And indeed, Brian May, who said on Instagram um, just before the auction, I can't look to us, his closest friends and family. It's so sad. Mm. But Jules, not so sad for his probably closest friend, Mary Austin, who put all these items forward as the auction has raised. It's been undone now. And it's raised eleven million pounds. That's crazy, isn't it? And I noticed in reading an article about this that loads of items went for massively above their um mm. their 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 reserve as well, didn't they? Or their sort of their their estimated price, which just seems bizarre to me. It makes me wonder. I don't know. This is not to criticise. I don't think it was necessarily anything to do with Mary Austin herself, but it makes me wonder. When I remember when when Chris Evans was on the Radio 2 Breakfast Show and they used to do this incredible money can't buy auction every year for children mm. in need. And it would go on a week. And I, I was at a time when I used to drive to work 45 minutes a day and I would just have it on in the car because I didn't have a digital radio at that point. So I couldn't listen to six music. So I had to make do with Radio 2. And it would be the most mad things to Terence. Like, you know. An entire like eight people go to Monaco for the Grand Prix for three days and you'd stay here and you'd do this. And the amount of money that used to be raised by this Mm. auction was like sometimes, you know, like nine million quid or like amazing amounts of money that would be raised during the week. And I remember talking to a friend of mine about it. And, you know, we wanted to go congratulations. Isn't it great that they've raised all this money? I remember my friend looking at me and going. Yeah, it does have a slight whiff of HMRC avoidance about it, doesn't it? And it makes me wonder, <laughs> what's happening? What are these people you know, getting rid of all their money? Mm. I don't know. You know, it it just seems, you know, it's, it's uh, there's just something that seems so weird about it. Why are people paying so much money for this Indeed. stuff? So much over the auction. Is it cra- crazed fans? I don't know what it is. Is it is it, you know, the auction room making people go wild? Is it a macho thing? I don't know, but it seems very strange to me. And I agree with Brian May. It is mm. saddening, actually. So my, my friend and her kids, they're all Queen fans, big Queen fans. And they went, you could go to Sotheby's to view the lots at the auction. Oh, could you? And I believe so. And if I'm right in thinking, many, many people did, I think, because okay. um, yeah. they, they posted photos of them outside. Um, and I think that, that I, I, I'd, I'd want to think, I'm just trying to think, um, 
Um, how many people want? I thought I read somewhere that like mm. thousands of people have gone, have no, gone to I'm see sure all this they... stuff, which is is you know, Did, and that they, makes they me think. Want... That makes me think. Wouldn't it be much nicer if those had been put in a museum, if it had been sold as oh, one God. lot and put in a museum somewhere? I mean, I know that some of the monies will go to um, will, will go to the Elton John's found, AIDS Foundation. Mm. Apparently, here we go. I found the found the um, mm. the, uh, the the stat at the start of the auction. This is Oliver Barker, the auctioneer, the chair of Sotheby's mm. auction. Mm. A month-long exhibition of the items on sale. So they did have an exhibition. Right. So in the month-long item. They had 140,000 visitors wow. go well, to see that, which is just crazy, point. isn't it? Yeah. And it does make me think, I wish someone had bought the whole collection. And maybe if someone had bought the whole collection, it wouldn't have gone for insane. It might have been slightly less insane amount of money. But I, I can't help but feel that that might have done more to protect the legacy, maybe. I think you're right. If some philanthropist or organisation or the V&A had bought this lot for £11 million, which is what, it, as we say, it raised, they could have set up a Freddie Mercury uh, exhibition in London, Birmingham, whatever it travels around. I reckon, and as you say, your your point of the number who went to the uh, viewing um, confirms this, is that they would have got that 11 million quid back from the number of uh, people who would have wanted to go and see all these things. Absolutely. One of the grimmest quotes of all time, I think, came from oh, Thomas God. Williams, who's a director of Sotheby's, and he says um, about the uh, sale, masses of people would be in a position to bid for a little piece of Freddy. It's just so gross. That's oh, exactly it's not nice, it is. is it, oh, really? I've got a little bit of my own little bit of Freddie Mercury. Now you were talking about. Um, I've got three items here. Um, you were saying that some of them had over overreached mm. what they were expected to get. Um, a bangle worn by Freddie Mercury in the Bohemian Rhapsody video. The estimate was nine thousand pounds. Six hundred. Sorry, go on. No, it's all right. Six hundred eighty-nine thousand five. I mean, that is. I don't know what the what the what the sort of the multiplier on that is, but that is insane. Yeah. Either they got it completely wrong, or something weird's happening here. What is this person doing with all their money? This is this is my concern. The, the written uh, manuscript for Bohemian Rhapsody, the song, not the movie, just for the song. Um, that went for one point three eight million. Uh, I mean, I can I can understand I can understand that actually. Mm-hmm. That is what a genuine piece of history, I think. But the language it, just seems mad. I know. The the final piece I bring to your attention, mm. which isn't actually um, related to Freddie Mercury, other than it was his garden door. The door to oh, his garden, right. covered in graffiti. You know, I love you, Freddie, from you know Steve and Marie, nineteen eighty nine or something. Um, so it's garden door covered in graffiti. Uh, the reserve price was twenty five thousand pounds. Bum 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 bum. Four hundred thousand pounds. Goodness me, that is crazy. I mean, That's what what you know? It's just it's mad, isn't it? Really, it's it's a mania. It feels like it's it's very odd. There's more to come, including mm. what to do with thousands of tents. Indeed. Jimmy Fallon in hot water and farewell to Gary Wright. Um, that's next after this fantastic slice of Northern Soul from the World Column. What makes it hard to find a piece that will last? Is it because the week is going too fast? So many years go by and nothing has done. We're making progress, but so is the sun. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-
absolutely magnificent. Um, very little known about them. They only released two singles. Mm. But this was one, and it's red hot. They are from Indiana, and they used to be the opening act for the Jackson 5. From 1969, the world column, and so is the sun. I'd never heard that before. I thought I was pretty um mm. I thought I was pretty up on that sort of thing, but actually I'd never heard that before and it is marvelous. That is such a gem. Thank you so much. Well, I, 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 like it was unknown to me as well. I got it on a, a collection of Northern Soul. Um, but clearly, Paul Weller was a fan because if any of us nip off later and listen to a track called Transglobal Express from okay. the final the final Jam album, The Gift, you will find somewhat of an amazing similarity. Hmm. So um, you, you know, you, you would have to prize them apart to tell the difference. Um, Jules. I want to know what's wrong with your generation. Obviously, oh, I'm, hold- no. well, no, I'm, I'm holding. Oh no! I'm doing my best, sir. T. I'm holding you responsible for it all. Over the bank holiday week- <laughs> that seems weekend, that's pretty reasonable. That's characteristically reasonable of you. <laughs> thanks for that. Bank holiday weekend, the now traditional Leeds and Reading festivals. Mm. At the end of the festivals, young volunteers come in to clear up. Very good of them. Here's um, director of the Leeds Festival, Claire Brown. She said, at the end of the festival, when they actually see the state that the festival festival sonnet has been left in, we have a few volunteers that are actually in tears. Mm. Now, I, I send you a video, Jules, I don't know if you saw it, of the devastation, which included thousands of tents and sleeping bags just left abandoned and it looked like a war zone so what's what's wrong with your people i mean firstly i, I don't know if this was a a, 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 com, a tommy cooper joke or who was responsible <laughs> for this but i've never been camping it's a bit intense for me etc oh. um yeah, it's very good very good whoever that was thank you anyway i have been camping it was too intense for me i'm not planning on oh, going back wouldn't but get um, me doing it yeah i am um, yes i didn't do it because i really wanted to anyway mm. so um i yes this just seems I just am so appalled by this. And can I just also point out, upsettingly, this is the generation below me, Sir mm, Terence. I had no, a conversation had a conversation with a person the other day who I considered to be a young lad on one of the quiz teams I play on. And then we worked out that his mother is three years older than me. So, um, <laughs> so, so yes, also born in the 80s, which I just find insane, frankly. Yeah. So, so, yes, these young people... I think that it, I never went to Reading. So Reading was that was a sort of a rite of passage for the people in the south, that my, people in my corner of England. We, Leeds was too far for us, but lots of people used to go to Reading. I didn't go to Reading because I just thought it sounded, I mean, I just thought it sounded uncomfortable. And I think it probably was ultimately. And I think there was always a little bit of argy bargy on the last day. I remember there being a massive fires, I think, at Reading. Yeah, do you remember Leeds. that? Yeah. Yes. And that was that was seen as sort of, massively shocking i think and people were really surprised and i don't think that happened again i think i think you know it seemed to all calm down again so i'm not saying that it was better in my day because it very patently wasn't but there is i don't know what it is about this festival there's it's been suggested that i know that reading used to be the sort of the kind of monsters of rock style festival didn't it It always had a reputation as being Mm. quite heavy and quite and quite sort of intense but um but more for sort of hairy rockers rather than young people but a friend of mine said to me i was talking to them recently because they've got kids of that rough age and i said they're going to reading and oh yeah you know my husband's got to take them to the station blah 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 (laughs) and um this is how old we are now that we talk about i mean my friends talk about their kids going to the reading festival but um 
I said, you know, oh, aren't you worried? And she said, well, they're sensible enough and they know not to get involved in trouble and any of that. And she said, you know, we don't agree with all the violence that takes place, you know, and the sort of the, the trashing. But she but she said, and I spoke to her again the week afterwards and she said, well, the thing is, you know, it's awful, really. But, you know, the waste is just appalling. But having said that, at least it's not the fires. At least it's not women getting attacked at Woodstock. At least it's just mm. thoughtless junk rather than anything else. And and she said also, when you sort of think about it, she said, it's the end of the school holidays, isn't it? Everyone's blowing off good steam. It's not like Glastonbury. The kids don't go to Glastonbury because they haven't broken up yet, have they? And I thought, God, that's really spot on, isn't good it? Point. I'd yeah. never thought of it that way before. And she spoke as, you know, a woman with teenagers. So I think occasionally wish she didn't have teenagers. But um, but of, of that kind of view, really. And one thing I and I think I think littering is a curiously young people habit. I, I might have told the story on the podcast before. I can't remember. But I went over on the train to see um, a friend of mine. I think this would have been summer 2021. I think it was summer mm. 21. Um, when sort of things were starting to pick up again after COVID, I was going over to attend a Telegraph sponsored food festival um, in Preston Park in Brighton, which was called Foodies, which had many opportunities of which you could try free samples and, and spend your money. And also, curiously, the band Scouting for Girls headlined the stage in the <laughs> festival and were kind enough, realising they were performing to an audience in sit-in chairs, um, perform, kindly performed their biggest hit, She's So Lovely, very early on. Um, as in they opened with it. So we were able to see Scouting for Girls and then get on the train and leave. But on my way over... A lot of young people, I mean, like entire carriages of young persons got on at what I would call the bigger stop. So Hastings Mm. and Eastbourne. And there were so many of them. And me and the sort of very few what I would call civilians at this point in the train kind of all sort of exchanged rather boggled eyed glances. Because just this enormous volume of young people all thronged onto the train. And eventually we found out through overhearing conversations and then then talking to us that there was some ravey festival that was i can't remember what it was called now but it was taking place in the grounds of falmer which is where the university is my experience <laughs> of these young people were they were all astonishingly nice and and they all got up to offer their seats to elderly people that got onto the train and they were really delightful people we were all very excited the only criticism I would have of them, Satie, was when they all got off the train. When they all got on the train, they all had alcohol with them, mostly strongbow dark fruit cider. That seemed to be very popular. Or also small, that vodka sort of pop things, like alcohol pop things. They were all couldn't have been politer, couldn't have been nicer to people. When they got off the station, every, or got the train to the station, every single conceivable surface was covered in mm. empty cans, empty bottles. And the thing was, I had no issue with them all as people. They were delightful and they were Mm. kind to other passengers. They were all very, very sort of friendly people. But I don't know if it's COVID that's done that, of not being in public spaces, thinking they were at home, etc. Although I would hate to see their homes, frankly. But maybe maybe just everyone went, oh, sod it during COVID. I don't know. But... I noticed that they left some, they left a lot of joy behind them. They also left an awful lot of rubbish. So <laughs> so I think that maybe maybe a charitable explanation is that is what has happened here. Because actually, when you think about it, I was talking to someone about, you know, they said, oh, we're in normal times now, aren't we? And I said, well, yes, we hear reports that COVID's on the rise again. Anecdotally, I know a lot of people with COVID, but people just seem to be getting on, don't they, by and large now? Mm. Last summer, it still wasn't quite there, I don't think. I think people still weren't quite comfortable so this is the first festival after three years of constant disruption for young people who've had 
incredible disruption in their lives. And it sounds like I'm defending this and, it, and it, you know, I, I don't like it at all. I'm just trying to play devil's advocate here. And I've read a few really good articles in The Guardian recently and other other sources uh, by Gabby Hinsliff, particularly, who I really like as a journalist. I find her very thoughtful. She's not flashy, but she's very thoughtful, I think. And sort of investigating a sort of a pandemic of mental health problems among amongst young people. And I'm not saying that being anxious gives you the right to litter the beautiful mm. Yorkshire countryside, but the dis- the disruption people have been put under at an incredibly formative time of their lives. Maybe that's not to be underestimated, and maybe this behaviour is going to take longer to rewire than we all thought, and it goes deeper than we all thought. I don't know. I wish all those young people very well, and I very much enjoy my time with the young people on the train going to the Ray Festival. And to be fair, Southern trains are poorly equipped with bins, so it wasn't like there was anywhere near the amount the amount of bins that were needed to cope with that level of rubbish. And when I say there were young people, there were probably, you know, a hundred people in each carriage, at least, I would say. It was crammed, really crammed. There was someone sitting in the luggage rack drinking cider at some point, I seem mm-hmm. to remember. But, um, yeah, yeah, so maybe that is, maybe it's to some extent poor organisation. Maybe there isn't enough capacity. But having said that, I think Southern, in that instance, probably could have thought that, you know, there might need to be, some you know advanced litter facilities on the train for young people going if you'd ever met a young person you would know they would have a bag of cans on a train to a rave festival it's not that out out of you know out of of keeping to work that out but i don't blame the staff in leeds for thinking that people wouldn't leave their whole tent behind for goodness sake and it makes you wonder about the affluency of these people as well Mm. and again perhaps it comes down to covid and maybe parenting i don't know it's quite a paradox really because so many young people are focused on sustainability Mm. climate change um you know stopping waste so it's a terrible reflection to see those abandoned Mm. tents chairs bowls rubbish i mean it's a statement terrible and it'd be very interesting to see how many of those those young people and i mean this genuinely have genuine concerns about climate change yet aren't joining the dots mm, mm, good point well, one might think or at least i would that this was a relatively benign place to work mm. get a few celebs in prime and rehearse some tedious anecdotes yes exactly Yes. And on, on, on the side of the stage for some lols and bands, get Cheryl Crow or Gary Barlow in to sing and plug something. Yes. But no, the, the late nights, the fast moving schedules, we keep hearing about toxic work environments, mm. especially in America. In 2020. Say, in... This is not a toxic work environment. This talk show is very good. Why can't they more, be more like us? <laughs> exactly. In 2020, employees of Ellen DeGeneres mm. uh, show said that the atmosphere was dominated by fear and the, mm. and the show was dropped. Of course, James Corden received unwelcome publicity last year after difficulties in a restaurant. And also the TV director, Craig Duncan, described Corden as the most difficult and obnoxious presenter I've ever worked worked with mm. kelly clarkson show this year workers on the show said they were overworked underpaid and then they go those words again a toxic environment Should yeah, so said having they, said that they they didn't criticize kelly clarkson just going to say their comments lovely, were yes. not aimed at kelly, kelly clarkson more at the working environment so yes yeah, she was not involved in, in mm. that well now jules america's golden boy jimmy fallon mm. a huge investigation by rolling stone magazine 16 complaints and that phrase once again a toxic workplace 
Yes, it's it's strange this, isn't it? I mean, I've never found Jimmy Fallon that funny. Having said that, he's no, an affable enough he's an affable enough presence, I suppose. One thing I do enjoy is the thing where he gets the the band, the Roots, and various um, musicians to kind of cram in and play a song on kids' instruments in one mm. in one room. I, and I have to say, I prefer the version of Enter Sandman by Metallica and the Roots on kids' instruments than I do the original, I must say. But um, yeah, it's it's um it's a weird thing, isn't it? the sort of the the world of talk shows isn't it how is it just so intense I don't know it just seems to be maybe because it's a very world I don't know I suppose that uh, the 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 issue maybe it's a sort of a, a, a an intense atmosphere to put it politely because these talk shows and I mean I think talk shows are a bigger deal in America than they are mm. over here I know we spoke, spoke about Parkinson the other week and then we spoke about the Graham Norton show but those mm. are the only ones we have don't they and they only go out once a week and sometimes they have time off, I think. They go off for the summer, don't they? These American talk shows, there are several of, of, of them, aren't they? And they seem to... Well, every some... major network has one. Yes. Late night, yeah. And, and some of them take place multiple nights a week, don't they, I think? I don't oh, think yeah. all of them are, 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 you know. And so so, and and they all have writers and you're having to constantly churn out new material, aren't you, to keep it interesting? And particularly, you know... When there are quite, a lot, I think we talked about this before, there are quite a lot of mo- modern Hollywood stars that A, aren't that interesting and B, are primed by studios not to say a lot mm. in case, you know, you get cancelled on Twitter or something. <laughs> yes. So, so you know, yeah, so, so, so you're so you're trying to you're trying to make something interesting and funny out of people that only want to be interesting and funny up to a certain point. It's not, you know, it's, this isn't this isn't, uh, you know, Joan Bakewell and Harold Pinter and David Frost and hard hitting interviews, is it? This is this is, you know, this is meant to be light entertainment which is sometimes harder to do isn't it because god there's an awful lot of nothing to talk about and a lot, a lot, a lot of time in which just feel talking about nothing isn't there so again i'm not defending anyone's behavior but i can understand why it's an atmosphere that might be febrile in terms of people being very stressed and you know you only have a certain amount of time to film things i can imagine the same thing about television soaps i would think although having said that you very rarely hear anything awful about the atmosphere on tv soaps do you if there if the atmosphere is awful it doesn't really meet the press they obviously have better sort of um better sort of guard dogs don't they although you do hear of people leaving soaps because of the shooting schedule because mm. you know people leaving coronation street you know going five nights a week and people just you know being incredibly just rightfully exhausted at having to do this five nights a week i mean obviously they're paid considerably better than they would be in the nhs five nights a week i would point out but anyway they you know they they are doing something that is incredibly intense so i can understand why you know I, I, you know, if I was someone in that position, I might be a bit ticked off if people weren't doing things properly and it was all kind of landing on me. And, and there is a pressure on, on people like Jimmy Fallon. I know that they're paid very, you know, very handsomely, but you are carrying the show on your shoulders. And I get why that is pressured. And, you know, not everybody is at their best all of the time. So, T, I've been rude to people on the phone before and then wished I hadn't been afterwards because, you know, because I've been having a, you know, a rubbishy day or I'm tired or whatever. But then it doesn't make it acceptable. And I feel bad about it. Jimmy Fallon, to his great credit, says he does feel bad about it. He feels terrible. But the whole thing just seems to be... Well, his behaviour was described as erratic. Nothing good has ever been described no. as erratic, has it? It's not something that attaches a... And also, this makes you think, what's the opposite of erratic? Erratic? <laughs> it's, it's, it's like when people say that they're 
either underwhelmed or overwhelmed. No one's ever just whelmed, are they? So I'm not quite sure what the what the opposite of, of, of erratic is. But um, he was described as um, being it's dismissive and irritable during production meetings. He would stumble through rehearsal. Um, he was described as good Jimmy days and bad Jimmy days. So basically there were two Jimmy Fallons and it was potluck as to who you'd get. And I've had bosses like that before. Mm. And man, it is tedious. It is you're on edge constantly because you don't know what's going to happen. And then you're tense. And then the problem is you. So, so I have absolutely, um, you know, I have absolutely, um, you know, every, Every sort of sympathy. Mm. The very odd behaviour here. They said that he, um, he was, um, he just. They said it was very strange that he would do things like he would, he would appear to be drunk when he wasn't. I wonder if at some point we'll have a revelation as to, you know, he's mm. been experiencing some lifetime difficulties. And it would seem that, um, that, that. So these people are saying that it starts at the top. All leadership starts at the top and then trickles down. It's never the other way around. Boris Johnson trying to claim when he was prime minister, oh, you know, it was a bad culture. You know, that 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 you know he was affected by the culture in Downing Street and parties. <laughs> Mate, it starts with you. You're prime minister. Mm. It's your, you know, it's literally your name above the door, isn't it, really? So, and and then you had this situation where they said it started with Jimmy Fallon and then it trickled down, as a result of which no one wants to stay. Everyone leads. They said there were nine showrunners in the past nine years. Oh and, you know, it, and it just becomes a revolving door, doesn't it, really? They describe, I've worked in offices like this. This is so restrained, I think, in the circumstances. People describe the um, the Tonight Show as tented a pretty glum atmosphere, and I think that's so ironic, isn't it? That we're being shown, you know, particularly when I think of not that I'm saying the atmosphere on there is bad, but when we have our equivalent, the Graham Norton Show over here, they are at great pains to show how well this this big sofa of celebs are mixing together. People have glasses of wine, don't they? And the audience are encouraged to clap and cheer, and there's a band, like you say, and it's all encouraged as they're having a big party, and we've been invited to sit and watch it haven't we which is very nice of them how ironic that they're probably trying to do the same thing on the jimmy fallon show and the atmosphere is described as glum and that's really not mm. what one is expecting is it really and it just you know it's really poor i think and and you know it's all very well being sorry now but it just goes to show like we've said this before previously and i think you've probably found this in your your working life in the biz mm. that people get to a certain point if not necessarily of fame, but of power, when yeah. it's your name on the show, when the show mm. is literally the you show, you just become detached and disconnected from, you know, what's going on and how to behave, if I'm frank. And because you're in that position, you don't have someone say, look, can you just stop being such a complete prat just for 30 seconds? Mm. You can't speak to her like that. That's appalling. People aren't going to want to work for you. And, you know, and people stop being able to hear that and even if they still have the people in their lives that can say that they either dispense with their services or they stop listening to them and i sense that might have been what's happened here i think you're right with the nine showrunners in nine years i think if anyone saw an ad in um the hollywood reporter today for quite job vacancy showrunner at the jimmy fallon show i think many people would think twice before filling that form in absolutely um, yeah well before we go a mention of Gary Wright, who died this week. No hmm. big profile for almost 50 years. But he, he played on All Things Must Pass um, hmm. and in Ringo's All-Stars in more recent years. Oh, wow. Okay. 
But his big year was 1976 when he had two big hits, Dreamweaver and Love is Alive. Mm. And a whole load of people. Actually, they're, they're very, uh, very sort of uh, smooth sailing these two mm, Yes, I was going to say, these sound like the sort of thing I should know about, and I don't really. I will look them up. A whole load of people rushed out to buy the Dreamweaver album. It went double platinum, and both of those singles I just mentioned reached number two on the Billboard Hot 100. So, farewell How have I never heard of this? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it sounds amazing. I believe it was also used on the soundtrack to Wayne's World, I discovered earlier this uh, week as well, when I read his obituary. Yeah, like you say, enormous success. Probably the most successful person you've never heard of to have a double <laughs> platinum album and two Billboard Hot 100 singles. R.I.P. Gary Wright. I'm sorry you weren't more appreciated in your lifetime. Absolutely. It, it, just in that, that year, um, 76, you know, I just remember so many people. You would mm. go around their houses and, you know, they'd have uh, James Taylor, Simon and Garfunkel, Joni's, Joni's Blue album, maybe... Um, 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 hissing of summer lawns and mm. everyone that summer had gary wright's uh dreamweaver it was just the, the big album mm. of that summer. thanks very much for listening this week thank you also from me uh, always a pleasure to hang out with my pal my celebrity pal sir t and uh, <laughs> and thank you for listening to us uh, blathering on each week i appreciate it almost said that thank you in the style of michael mcdonald and then thought better of it please I don't, don't, don't please don't no don't do that now, to yourself Never described as a toxic environment, more <laughs> a peaceful, loving oasis is Juliet's radio shows. And better still, you can hear the actual Michael McDonald instead yes. of Ferris's uh, yeah. reckless for his health impression. Yes. That's very kind of you to say, Sotie. We do try. I do try and aim for that atmosphere. A smooth sailing um, Sunday evenings from seven to nine p.m. on NoiseBoxRadio.com. Um, a very nice way, I hope, to spend an evening. I always enjoy um, hearing from people that listen to the show. Yacht Rock, M O R A O R, classic pop, some easy listening, stuff that's relaxing and uplifting, and that's always the aim. Anyway, who knows? Maybe. Dreamweave will be on this week. And I listened to your other show actually on Catch Up um, earlier today, your um, instrumental show. I enjoyed Indeed. That Thank you. Lost for Words. I'll plug that then as you enjoyed it. I, I, I don't need telling twice. Lost for Words is my mm. instrumental show that I host on uh, on the same station on Noisebox. Um, that's on Thursdays, 8 till 9 p.m. There's a repeat that goes out 11 o'clock in the morning on Tuesdays. It always catches by surprise because I always get messages when I'm in the middle of doing my day job at 20 past 11 going, oh, I really liked that Django mm-hmm. Reinhardt track. And me going, what's going on? Oh, yes, it's a repeat. So mm-hmm. that that's always on. And it's on Catch Up. Like you say, mitzcloud.com. If you search for Noisebox Radio's channel, you can and find the old shows on there finally a this is a, a track that you're going to play so that reminds me a bit of my beloved pm dawn yes there is that similarity and it's from that same sort of era as well um i bought a bunch of records a few years ago um from a friend of mine that was sort of selling them off and he said oh should i bung this in i think you'd really quite like this and he sent it to me and i really loved it and i remember it was in my box when i was playing at a local venue um called the printworks near me and um some you know it was a sort of bar people were sort of drifting in and out it was i was doing a several hour long set and towards the end of the evening some very nice younger lads came in in sportswear and one of them asked if i had any hip-hop quote on quote and as the as the lady that was the running the bar said to me after Jess I heard you go heavier for those lads when they came in I managed to find this which they very much enjoyed in my box um this is um from Brooklyn New York City or New York because I suppose you would have to say if you were from there um they're credited with paving the way for bands such as The Roots um this is Stess Stes- Sonic is how it's pronounced and it's called All That Jazz well here's how it started heard you 
you on the radio talking about rap, saying all that crap about how we sample. Give an example. Think we'll let you get away with that. You criticize our method of how we make records. You said it wasn't art, so now we're gonna rip you apart. Stop. Check it out, my man. This is the music of a hip-hop band. Jazz, well, you can call it that. But this jazz retains a new format. Point. When you misjudged us, speculated, created a fuss. You've made the same mistake politicians have. Talking all that jazz. Tell you to step off a lot. You see, you misunderstood. A sample just a tactic, a portion of my method, a tool. In fact, it's only of importance when I make it a priority. And what we samples love by the majority. But you and minority in terms of thought, narrow-minded, and poorly taught about hip-hop game or the silly game to erase my music so no one can use it. You step on us and we'll step on you. Can't have your cake and eat it too. Talking all that jazz. Even get hurt, my friend. Stetsasonic, the hip hop band. And like Sly and the Family Stone, we will stand up for the music we live and play. And for the song we sing today. For now, let us set the record straight. And later on, we'll have a forum and a formal debate. But it's important you remember, though. What you reap is what you sow. Talking all that jazz. Talking all that jazz. Talking all that jazz.
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs> <laughs>